Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Happy New Year. It's great to see you. I wonder if um, you would turn in your Bibles with me to the uh, prophecy of Isaiah. If you don't have a Bible and you love a Bible, then I was about to offer you a Bible, but I haven't got enough. So um, just poke the person next to you who has a Bible and say, can you share with me? Um, and if you've got a Bible on your phone, make sure you don't play Candy Crush or Angry Birds or something like that. Um, but you, you read the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to start a series um, that's about hope. Um, Because there is this almost indefinable quality that changes everything. It's called biblical hope. It changes perspective, changes attitudes, it changes situations, it changes circumstances. The hope of God changes everything. I'm, I'm a big sucker for New Year's resolutions. In fact, I may be the biggest sucker for New Year's resolutions. Every year I make these resolutions, but I'm almost done. I've almost got to the point when I don't believe I am, I don't believe it's ever going to be six-pack summer again. I don't kind of believe that it's, I'm ever going to play a guitar. I don't believe I'm ever going to ride a motorbike. I don't believe I'm ever going to run a marathon. I have all these things that I'm going to do, I want to do, I want to make happen, and it never quite happens. I wonder if, if you're that kind of person who's got, you know, fitter, uh, slimmer, greener, richer on your list of things that you're going to do, or whatever it is, kinder on your list of things that you're going to do. Or I wonder whether you're the kind of person that arrives in 216 with a kind of really calm? Are you sure? Honestly, forget about the forging ahead. I just want to stand in 2016. I just want to somehow find a way to make it happen in 2016 because I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in relationship, frustrated in career, struggling financially. I'm just finding life a bit difficult. I'm just about holding on to dreams, so don't talk to me about new ones. I'm just about clinging on to faith, so don't start talking to me about a big faith. I don't know. So maybe you fit into one of those categories. You're one of those kind of people who's always forging for something more. Something more. Isn't it exciting? Or you're one of those people that's saying, don't talk to me about something more. I think I want to talk about hope in the context of those two perspectives. And I want to talk about hope being able to change everything for you. So turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And what you need to know about Isaiah and chapter 40 is that um, according to the scholars, almost certainly Isaiah is broken into two books or two parts. The first part, um, you've got the prophet talking judgment So again and again and again, he says to the rebellious people of Israel, you you have rejected God. You've turned your back on him. You stuck two fingers up at him and you've run away from him. You've turned to other gods. There is judgment coming. There's exile coming again and again and again. For like 40, 39 chapters, he says this stuff. It's totally legitimate. This is who you've been and this is what you're going to get. 
And then in Isaiah 40, he totally changes tack. And instead of talking judgment, he starts talking comfort. He starts talking hope. Isaiah 40 through 46, somebody's coming. There is hope that's coming. It's going to change everything. It's going to turn everything on its head. And it's this kind of hope I want to talk to you about today. So the prophet says this. We're just going to read a few verses because there's loads of them. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now flip to verse 28. We're going to talk a lot about who Isaiah says God is and who we are in the light of who God is. But then we read this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know, I really struggle with the whole New Year's thing because I look around me. And I see generation after generation of people struggling to make it happen in their own strength, struggling with their human capabilities to try and make it happen and work for them and fix it and run it and heal it and solve it and and, and stay at peace with it. And they can't do it. And I think, how am I going to do it? I struggle with this, with this hope thing, with this, with this new year thing, because I look behind me at my past. And I think about the the struggles I've had and the times I've said I'm going to do this and make this happen and the times when I've let myself down and other people down and I think there's no possible way because I know me. I, I struggle because I look within me and I know the strength within me, and I know the weakness within me, and I know the inabilities within me to make it happen. And I think if it's down to me, it just ain't going to happen. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, wants to say there is a different perspective. There's a different way. There's a different hope that can change absolutely everything. There's a different filter. There's a different focus. There's a different way to live 2016. So let's pray and then let's get into it. Okay? So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you for your presence here already. Thank you that we get to be part of this gathering to express our praise to you. And now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come with your truth and with your hope to speak it to our lives. So we lay ourselves open to you. Come say what you would say. Come do what you would 
do. And we will be obedient to your word and open to your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Isaiah chapter 40. And the context is this. The people of God find themselves in exile. The prophet was right. You disobey God, there are conditions, and the conditions mean that God will do what he said he's going to do. So the people of God find themselves in exile in a place called Babylon. And, and, and if you've hung around the scriptures for a while, you know that, and you don't think too much of it, but actually this is an incredibly devastating thing. The people of God knew that, that, that to be the people of God, you needed the land of God, and you needed the temple of God. The land of God spoke of the promise of God. And the temple of God spoke of the presence of God. And if you didn't have the promise of God and you didn't have the presence of God, were you still the people of God? And so they sat by the rivers of Babylon and they wept because they remembered what was and they knew what was and they didn't understand if they ever could be the people of God again. And then the prophet speaks. So they're not hanging around thinking 2016 for them is going to be incredible. They're hanging around thinking, oh, 588 for them. It's going to be awful because they weren't the people of God. Can we survive it? Can we stand in the storm? Can we make it happen? And, and they weep. And the prophet speaks. And he speaks comfort. Comfort that isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling. Comfort that isn't the kind of thing that's temporary and then goes away. Comfort, that word comfort is the, word, is the Hebrew word nahan. And it means, yeah, the stuff that you think it means. It means to console and express sympathy, but it's much more of a state than it is a moment. Comfort that enables you to continue to walk with hope in this world because God is with you. And then the prophet starts to say, your comfort and your hope, translating it for us, your comfort and your hope in 2016 is not based on your circumstances behind you, within you, or before you. It's based on your identity. It's based on who you are. Look at verse one. You're gonna to have to study this, so you might wanna get a pen and piece of paper out. Look at verse one. The prophet says, comfort my people, says the Lord. Comfort my people. That's massive for them. Because remember, they thought they were probably not the people anymore. And, and the prophet says, you're my people. It's so easy to forget who you are when you live in a foreign land. It's so easy to forget what your primary identity is when you live in a foreign land. It's so easy in 2016 to forget that you are the people of God because culture will define you and will say you are what you wear, what you owe, what you own, where you live, what you call yourself, you know, all those things. It will begin to say you are, your primary identity is these things, what has been spoken over you and it will limit you. Culture will name you in 2016, if you let it. Culture will say you're a success or you're a failure, depending upon its grid of reference. Culture will say you're fat or you're thin. Culture will say you're beautiful or you're ugly. Culture will say you're young or you're old. Culture will say you're likely to succeed or you're doomed to failure. It will name you. And sometimes it won't even be as crass as that. It, it, it won't even be as obvious as that. Sometimes culture will describe you by your function, not your destiny. <laughs> 
Get that. Sometimes culture will describe you by your function and not your destiny. So you will become known as teacher or doctor or lawyer or pastor or mother or stay-at-home mother or businessman or designer or scout leader or musician or leader in the church. And those things may have a partial truth to them, but they will limit you if if they become your primary identity. None of these things name you. You are the people of God. You're the people of God. And your hope in this world and your hope in 216 is dependent upon you embracing that primary identity. We are the children of God, the creative representatives of God, the children of the resurrection, the children of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones overflowing with the life of Jesus. We are hope-filled, joy-bringing, peace-loving, grace-carrying, truth-sharing, love-giving, kingdom-living people. That's our primary identity. And this world will wash you with another identity that says this is who you are and this is what you will amount to. But your hope lies in you claiming your name. This is who I am. And this is what I'm for. And this is how I stand. And the prophet goes on and says, your, your hope and your comfort is based on your status. Look, check, check this out. He says, you're forgiven. You are a forgiven people. I mean, this is huge. This, these were a group of people who rebelled against God. They were the special people of God who were supposed to represent God to the world and they rebelled against God. And God says, you are the forgiven people of God. And the prophet seems to be carried forward in time to the, the occasion of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And he is told, get this, he is told to announce to the disobedient nation that the basis of their forgiveness has already been accomplished. Get your head around that. He's told to announce to that disobedient nation that the basis of their forgiveness has already been accomplished. And he's speaking prophetically to them and he's speaking directly to us. He says, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. That's what the word tenderly means. And cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Which when you read it for the first time sounds like a really bad deal. I mean, you don't want double for your sins, do you? But, but, but those who are listening to it for the first time, they understood the reference. Because in a Middle Eastern culture, if you owed somebody something and you couldn't pay, the person that you owed it to would come to your door and they would nail to your door on a piece of paper the debt that you owed with a nail so that everyone would walk past that door and know that you had a bad debt to your name. If somebody paid that debt for you, they would turn that piece of paper over and fold it in two. And then they would nail it through. And then when someone walked past your door, they would know that your debt had been paid. You had been forgiven. So the picture is clear for these people. Your sin has been forgiven. That's your identity. You're no longer a debtor. You're somebody who's been forgiven. You are my people and you're the forgiven people. You no longer stand in the place of shame. 2.16 Some of us walk into 2.16 with heavy burden because we know the people that we've been in 2.15 and we know the people that we've hurt and we know the pain that we've caused and we know the trouble that surrounds us and we know the cheating and the gossip and the shame and the scripture says this, 
The basis of your forgiveness has already been done. You just need to appropriate it. If you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a done deal. Guys, in 2.16, don't allow an inability to apply the forgiveness of God to your life to rob you of the freedom that God has for you. That's good, so I'll say it again. In 2.16, don't allow an inability to apply the forgiveness of God to your life to rob you of the freedom of God. Because who are you? You're the people of God. You're the forgiven people of God. And he goes on, look at verses three and four. He says, comfort and hope is not based on whether you can make it happen or you can do it or whether you're clever enough or whether you're psychologically sound enough to to, to do the thing that you're asking to do. Your ability to have hope is based upon your potential. Look at verses three and four. See, God is saying to this people, it's not just that I want to remind you that you're mine and it's not just that I want to remind you that you're forgiven. That's, for me, that's an easy deal. It's done. But you're still stuck in Babylon and you're away from the city of God and you're away from the temple of worship and God says, I'm not gonna leave you like that. I'm gonna bring you home. I'm not gonna leave you like that. I I love you exactly as you are, but I love you too much to keep you that way. I'm gonna provide a way for you to come home, a highway of holiness. In 2.16, he doesn't wanna save you and leave you. He wants to save you and clean you, save you and free you, save you and lift you, save you and use you. Look at verses three to five. There is a way through the wilderness. It's, just, it's not just a highway for God to come to you. It's a highway for you to come to God. In 2.15, some of us may have been way far away from God. I mean, probably we wouldn't stand up the front here and come to the mic and admit and say, hey, we've been far away from God. But actually, God has been distant from us and we have been distant from God. And we haven't even called it rebellion, but that's what it's felt like. And God says, 2.16, I'm building a highway of holiness where I can come to you and you can come back to me. And there is a radical transformation that's gonna happen in your inner landscape that will change everything. When I come into your life, I'm not just gonna leave you the way you were. I'm gonna clean it up, I'm gonna change it up. It's gonna be radically different. You're supposed to be different week on week, month on month, year on year, because I'm doing a work of holiness with you. Check this out, every valley is lifted up. In other words, in the low places of your life, in the discouraging times, in the times when you feel crushed and defeated, when you wanna give up, there will be a comfort and an encouragement from the Lord because that's what I wanna do. I want to lift you up and every mountain shall be brought down. All those places where my ego manifests itself, all those places where my pride boasts, my grasping for power, they have to be cut down if I'm gonna to return to God and he's gonna to come to me. Every place will be made straight. Our deviousness will be corrected. We will steal no more. We will report our income correctly. Because in 2.16, God says, here's my promise to you if you let me, I'm gonna remodel you. I'm gonna redo you more and more in the image of my son. I'm gonna breathe courage in you. I'm gonna grow faith through you. I'm gonna develop purity all around you. You were never meant to get free 
and then understand forgiveness and then hang on to your get out of hell free card until Jesus returns. That's not his plan for you. You're supposed to experience internal radical transformation that makes you more like the son of God and then the transformation God does in you, he's supposed to do it through you so that other people experience the son of God. God says, that's what I'm doing. 2016, that's what I'm doing in exile. And he says, that's hope. He says, comfort my people based on real security. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8 while you're there. Isaiah says this thing. He says, men and women are like grass and flowers. He says, they're they're created in my image and they're beautiful, but they're fragile and they're temporary. It's a temporary thing. One king rises, another king falls. Kingdoms rise and fall, celebrities rise and fall, political affiliations rise and fall, new theories come and go, new ways of thinking come and go, they rise and fall, they're temporary. New theories about church come and go, it's temporary stuff. But the only thing that stands forever is the breath of the Lord, the Ruach, the Spirit of the Lord, the Word of the Lord is steadfast. Guys, listen, all over this nation, all over this city, in our postmodern, post-Christendom age, we find ourselves amongst people who are desperate for an anchor because everything has shifted. Everything is shifting. People we know and people we love and people that we work with and people that we live around are looking for an anchor in the storm. They're looking for a fixed point because everything else is shifting around them. And the scriptures say this, the word of the Lord is steadfast and unchanging. This is important. Opinion and culture are fluid. This is really important for this congregation. Listen, opinion and culture are fluid. They're transitory. They will come and they will go and they will change and you cannot rely upon them and you certainly can't stand the weight of your life on them. But the word of the Lord is steadfast and certain. And we kind of know that and yet we find ourselves building our hope on an unsolid foundation all the time. I see it. I see us bringing up our kids on unsolid foundations. I see us spending our money on unsolid uh, foundations. I see us patterning our days on unsolid wisdom and advice rather than this word of God which is living and dynamic and does not change. And so the prophet says you can have hope. You can have hope in 2.16 that it isn't based on your competences and isn't based on your ideas and isn't based on culture or reason or tradition or feelings. It's based on who you are in God. And you say, well, that, that's okay, but, but how can I trust God? And the prophet knows you're going to ask that question. So he starts talking about the competences of God and how you can trust him in 2.16. And he says this, look, verse 9, here is your God. Just in case you're not sure whether God has the capability to make the things happen that need to happen, here is your God. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. And Isaiah finds it really difficult just to describe God succinctly just as you do. And so instead of giving one picture of God, he gives us a whole stack of different pictures. If you like an album of pictures or a, or a gallery of pictures of God, he says, check this and check this and check this and understand this because he's so huge and he's so massive and he's so good and he's so powerful. 
And I want to just share some of those with you because I think it will induce hope. Picture number one is a picture of water. If you travel at 35,000 feet from the UK at 575 miles per hour, it takes about seven hours to reach the United States of America. And underneath you, most of that time is water. I try not to think about that. But it's true nonetheless. Underneath you, most of that time is water. Look at verse 12. Isaiah says, if you're wondering whether God is able, he has measured the waters. The Atlantic and the Pacific and the Indian and the Firth of Forth. He has measured the waters. And he holds the whole lot in his hand. In other words, this God, who is this big and this able and this supernatural, is the one who names you. This God is the one who forgives you. This God is the competent God who has your best interests at heart. And then he says, check out the heavens. God has set the boundaries of the heavens. And, and if you've read this before, you go, yeah, well, God set the boundaries of the heavens. But, but, but get that in your head for just a moment. He, with his hand, marked out the heavens and we say, cool. And then he says, he made the stars. He numbers them and he names them. I mean, just, he numbers the stars and he names them. Listen, my best friend Wikipedia tells me this. That with perfect eyesight, which I clearly haven't got, and the sky perfectly clear, you can probably see about 9,000 stars. And if your life is really that dull, you could probably count all of them. But it also tells me this, that in our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, it is estimated by the experts there are about 400 billion stars. And the Hubble telescope sees galaxies that are 10 billion light years away. And experts can't agree as to how many galaxies there are. And they keep finding new ones. They think there are millions of millions of millions of galaxies. And the scripture says this, that he numbers and he names. How cool is that? He numbers and he names stars. Verse 26, look. He numbers, I mean, and elsewhere, the Bible describes them as the handiwork of God. I love that picture. It's like star numbering and naming is God's hobby. It's what, it's what God does in the garden shed at the weekend when you're off playing five aside or something. He's going, mm, Orion. Or, or something even cooler that we haven't yet discovered. And, he, and he's doing that thing. And, and, and this, this God is the God who forgives you. This God is the God who is making a highway in the desert so that you come back to him. This God that you've written off, relying upon him and standing on him and you're trying to rely upon something else. This God who numbers and names stars, by the way. Picture three, he talks about dust. Go to Portobello at low tide, there's tons of the stuff. Better still, go to North Africa. You get covered in the stuff. It gets everywhere. God is able. <laughs> this is ridiculous stuff. It's like caricature. It's like, it's like cartoon. God is able to put all the dust in the Sahara and the Kalahari and every other desert your standard Greg geography memory can remember in a basket or a bucket. He weighs mountains on the scales. Not Monroe's proper mountains. 
He weighs mountains on scales. This God. And then picture five, he talks about nations. Verse 15, look. I love this. They are like a drop in a bucket. They don't impress God. Verse 17, they are as nothing. In other words, America does not impress God with its power and its status and its bombs and its economy. Doesn't impress God. Neither does Britain impress God. God is not fearful of China. (laughs) Militarily or economically, God is not afraid of China. God is not concerned about India. God, God, the people are like grasshoppers to God, says the scripture. Verse 22, David Cameron, Jeremy Corbyn, Barack Obama, Kim Kardashian, and Karl Martin don't impress God. Well, Kim Kardashian probably impresses God a little bit, but... <laughs> really? They don't impress God. He brings princes to naught. Verse 23... He blows on them and they wither, verse 24. And we call it an election loss or popularity decline or fall from grace or a trend. God doesn't do trends. This is God. There is only one creator and it's him. There's only one throne and he's on it. And so Isaiah says, come on, guys. You can have hope in 2.16 that the stuff that God is doing is going to work out because of who you are because of your status and because of your position and because of your forgiveness, and because of your potential and because of your security and because of who God is. He is unique. He is totally unique. There is nothing compared to him. There is no phenomenon in history to compare to him. There's no other authority worth standing your weight on. It's like a non-contest. And then Isaiah says this, verse 18, just in case you're wondering. So who are you going to compare God to? So we got God, bucket, dust, scales, mountains, water, all the waters of the earth and the palm of the hand. And who, who, sorry, who are you going to compare God to in your life? And this was big for the people of Israel because they had compared God. They, they, they compared God and they'd gone after Canaanite gods and they compared God and they were tempted with Babylonian gods and we say we're not so stupid but we compare God all the time so we compare God to celebrities and to stuff and to pleasure and to and we we choose those things to stand the weight of our life and to spend the money and spend the time on those things and Isaiah says there is no contest there is only one God guys 216, God is greater than the circumstances behind you. Whatever you've done in the past, his love and his grace and his forgiveness is able and willing to set it straight, to forgive and to restore. God is greater than the circumstances before you. 
If you stand at the doorway of 216 and you go, how in the world is it going to work out? How am I going to get to college? How am I going to get a job? How am I going to get a partner? How am I going to deal with a money situation? How am I going to deal with my health situation? God is greater than the circumstances before you. The Jewish people were a remnant. They were facing an uncertain and difficult journey. But God is concerned for the grasshopper and says, you are my people. God is greater than the circumstances within you. God knows how you feel and how you fear and how you think and he is God and he is building a super highway, a way for you to come to him and a way for him to come to you. And then Isaiah says, and all of that is dependent in 2.16 on how you wait on on how you wait on him. Look at verse 31. Those who wait or those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That that word renew, you might want to circle it and write the word exchange next to it because it's probably a better translation. What Isaiah is saying is that those who hope in the Lord will get an exchange. They will exchange their weaknesses for his strength. They will exchange their doubt for his faith. They will exchange their lack of competence for his competences. And then they will fly because their hope is in the right place. It's in the the identity that they have in him. It's in what he calls them. It's in who he is. It's in how strong he is. It's in how able he is. It's in how big he is. It's 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 the vision that he has for you, not your thing. And suddenly everything changes. So 2.16, don't don't look back and despair because you're forgiven. Because you're forgiven. Don't look around and be discouraged because you are the people of God and you get to dance to the beat of a different drum. You didn't have to conform to culture or to tradition or to reason or to feelings. You have to conform to the word of God and the spirit of God. And that yoke is easy and that burden is light. Don't look in and be destroyed. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Look up. Look up. And hope in the Lord. And you will fly. pray for us. Lord, um, all over this building I pray for an exchange to be happening. My fear for his faith. my pain for his comfort, my weakness for his strength, my failure for his sufficiency, my despair for his dream, my brokenness for his wholeness. my poverty for his riches 
And I pray that hope would rise, that hope would rise in desert places where we've almost given up on ourselves or on others or on situations, that hope would rise. Not hope that is kind of self-generated, self-help hope, but hope that comes from the Lord. Hope that says, this is who you are. This is what you're for. This is your potential. And this is who I am. My people. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, we're just going to spend some time worshipping and we're going to do just what the uh, prophet asks us to do. We're going to wait on God. We're going to wait on God. How do you wait on him? Well, it's kind of the law of indirect effort. You stop pursuing hope in your own strength and you start pursuing him and attach yourself to his hope. So in these moments, just let him do what he wants to do. He's going to start doing a divine exchange. He says, bring your brokenness and I'll bring my healing. Bring your despair and I'll bring my hope. Bring your shame and I'll bring my forgiveness. That's what God does. So let's just wait on him. And as we wait on him, a number of things might happen. You might just want to kneel or sit or receive. Or it, it might be helpful to have someone else help you wait on him. So our prayer team is going to be over here to my right and to your left. And you can just slip out of your seat and say, I, I would, you know, 215 has been rough for me. 216 looks difficult. Or I was far from God in 215. I don't want to be far from God in 216. Or I was trying to do it in my own strength in 215 and I'm giving up doing that because actually I know it doesn't work and I feel hopeless and I want hope. And you'd love someone just to pray that in with you and to stand with you and to wait with you. Or come with our prayer team. Or if you've come with someone that you trust and you really don't want to be public and walk out here and then just turn to them and say, hey, I would love you just to pray that I might feel the strength of God in 216. But whatever it is, find a way to wait on God and to ask him for his hope to rise in your life. His hope, his hope. So let's just worship God. Let's wait on him. If you want to stand, you want to sit, you want to kneel, you want to lie, then feel free to do that. Not too many people lying could get very messy. But if you want to, then do that. Let's just worship God.